0: Hello, and welcome to the Sensibly Speaking Podcast. This is Chris Shelton, the
1: critical thinker at large, coming at you uh, on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, as well as here with video on YouTube. And this week, um, I have a a special uh, kind of guest, a stand-in guest, rather. Uh, I had a whole show planned uh, with another person, and that person canceled. And thankfully, um, I then got a phone call literally 10 minutes later from uh, our good friend Jeff Wassel. Who, has, who just appeared for the first time on my show uh, just a few weeks ago, I think it was, a couple of episodes ago, and we had a very interesting discussion about the Church of Scientology and the Office of Special Affairs and the tactics and long-term, uh, I guess you could say, efficacy or effectiveness of Scientology's tactics and strategies in terms of forwarding what it is that the Church of Scientology needs to effectively expand, move, you know get new territory, hold on to what they've got, keep the con going, however you want to put it. and how and we talked about how the Office of Special Affairs, which is the um, sort of dirty tricks arm of uh, the church, has um, has not really been as effective and intelligent as they like to think they are. And I thought we covered some pretty good territory with that. however, uh well first off let me just get jeff on and then we'll address this first point and then we'll go from there so hi jeff welcome to the show again
0: thanks for having me back again
1: absolutely yeah happy to have you back on i i was thinking we were going to do a show again in about two or three weeks so this is totally fortuitous
0: internet time right that's right so the reason i reached out to you today was a couple things um Tony put a blog post out the other day about um, kind of a follow-on theme that he puts out occasionally on uh, Scientology PIs and their tactics and how they follow people, and um, actually this one was uh, a gal that had actually been working for the church that came out and kind of did a, an apologia, uh, you know, kind of an apologia, uh, apologia a me copa, what have you, about her behavior. And um, I was actually, um, you know, was interested, but again, it's a running theme, and I uh, put a post out there that uh, caused some people some heartburn. I think, in the sense that I believe there's a perception that I may be underplaying OSA's efficacy, and I am not. Uh, So, one of the things I wanted to come out and and say is that this is in no way about undermining, in fact, that's a classic mistake in warfare. We're not here looking and saying that these guys are incompetent in the sense that they are a bunch of buffoons. What I'm saying is is that they operate exclusively very well at one level that does not translate well to a, a higher level of abstraction, in this sense, tactical versus strategy and the overall propagation of the church. And that led into a discussion about, well, what is the actual end game here about what the church is trying to do? And so, again, like any theory, we have to go out and we have to reappraise it. And so in the last couple of days, I've been kind of reappraising some of the assumptions I may have made or else, you know, what the perceptions are out there in the, the world of ideas, as it were. And one of the things that came to me was that, well, what what is the end game? And some of the folks on the blog, uh, in, in the post thread said, it's basically about you know, perpetrating the con- or propagating the con rather than, you know, the established ideas of we want to go out and clear the planet and all this very esoteric right. stuff that you was know, at the end of the game, as you know. So to that, um, I still maintain my arguments valid in that even though that we may be looking at the end stage or whatever and that it's all about money and keeping David Miscavige out of jail, I would say that they're still failing in that, you know, revenues are still flatlining, you know, they're having, in fact, they just released a thing the other day that looks like they're looking at tithing for, you know, $100 here and $100 there. Jeff Augustine's done a very good post on it. So if they're trying to rope in revenue streams, they're worried about funds coming in somewhere, or what's the status of the IAS right now? So money is obviously a concern. And the other uh, presumption, I think, is that you know, while Miscavige may be out of jail, he's certainly living in a gilded cage. When do you see him outside of either some big dude down in L.A. or the occasional, you know, yank pull at, at an org opening? Well, so- ex-
1: that is that is a very good point and one that, that a lot of people don't necessarily think about too much. It took me a long time to realize that... That people like Miscavige—I'll just put it that way—I won't bring politics into it. Sure. Uh, there are other people I could name right now, but you know, people who uh, live a life of tyranny and authoritarianism are not happy people. <laughs> you no. know, these are these are not people who go frolic around in the fields and 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 enjoy their life because they live a life of by necessity of how they've chosen to treat other people. They end well, up being paranoid.
0: Yeah. Well, I was going to say, is it paranoia? But this is supposedly the head, you know, COB is the head of a, you know, $1.75 billion enterprise. You know, if we look at it as a business, this is the equivalent of Jack Welch, you know, never leaving the headquarters of GM to go out and, you know, go to a car plant in Flint, Michigan or something like that, right? Exactly. Not without everything very structured and very set up. And I'll tell
1: you right now that one of the most closely guarded secrets within the world of Scientology is where David Miscavige is going to be. His Absolutely. schedule, his itinerary is like we could never as lowly little peon Sea Org members, uh, and I was mid-level management, right? And even at that level, you could not you know, publicly talk about where he was going to be, when he was going to come and speak at a live event or do an org opening or something like that. It was always waiting until the last second to announce he was going to be there, and his movements and whatnot very closely guarded. I just thought we should talk about or comment on that because it's not been commented on too much, at least not on well, my channel. Well,
0: and further to your point, Look at this is the way dictators behave: Saddam Hussein or Slobodan Milosevich. Uh, I can never pronounce the guy. Uh, yeah. Misalovic over there in, 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 in Bosnia Herzegovina days. These guys, you never know because there's assassination fears. There's just the threat of ram- I mean, they're they have created their own. It's almost their hostage to fortune. You know, they they've created this myth around them. But yet in that myth, there's also a lot of people that have been maligned. And so I think, and this kind of leads into where we are with what I wanted to talk about today is the efficacy of OSA on the tactical and, you know, the, the very hands-on level. Let's call it, you know, the immediate, the, the, the short-term battle, if you will. The near-term battle is what they call it. And I think that this whole, um, this randomness, the security apparatus that OSA provides for Miscavige is emblematic of their thought processes. They do not default to the open nature of democracies. They don't default to the open nature of what you would call, you know, a good a good PR, which is you know kind of antithetical to what Hubbard said a long time ago. You know, we have to have good PR. We want the church out there as a message. We want to be accept. We want this message of acceptance. You know, everybody should come be a Scientologist because we have this great goal of clearing the planet. Blah blah blah. Right. So you know, it's very paradoxical, isn't it?
1: Well, very much so. And you know, Hubbard really hated. Having to be undercover and in hiding and stowing himself away from places and things, he, he he despised it. He wanted to be out and about. He wanted the adoration. He wanted the freedom of movement. And um, and of course, he died. You know, basically in a ditch. Miscavige yeah. has now developed that exact same thing, right? He's going well, the exact the same route.
0: Cri- it's the duality of criminality. You know, if you look at the way the, the you know the, uh, during the the golden age of the mafia, if you will, you know the Teflon Don, John you know John Gotti was very out there because it was the hubris involved in having this machine behind you. And what's happened now with Miscavige is because the the public perception, Scientology is so toxic that it's by, it's almost like if he's out there, he's carrying the flag for something that in a way he probably doesn't want to draw attention to himself around. You Mm -hmm. know, back in the day, John Gotti was proud to be a mobster. There was also, I mean, there was a lot of cultural cachet about being in the mob in New York in the 80s, right? And that's not the case with Scientology. Scientology is, is just not there on the culture. I mean, it's, it's a, an object of scorn rather than something that people want to emulate or be a part of or, you know, have some kind of, uh, you know, tertiary uh, association with, like we, you know, do with anything else that we find appropriate in society. That's right. Oh, Miscavige would be in,
1: would, would, it's not a, it's not a completely unfounded fear that he might have, you know, concerns about his physical uh, safety. Um, I, I, certainly not for me or anybody on my channel. I mean, I have gone out of my way to to uh, get rid of and block anyone who yes. ever uh, even and even jokes about, you know, carrying out physical violence against Scientology. That is not sure. the solution. But We're I know sure. that's
0: what he's afraid of. Sure, you know? and 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 that's valid. I mean, I don't begrudge him driving in armored SUVs and all that because, again, he's a high high pro what they call in in money launder in my world you know a politically exposed person a pep and peps have a certain there's you just when you live in the public sphere there's just certain things you got to give up you know and and spontaneity is one of them but he you know i think what scientology given their their they're, you know, they're preternaturally di- uh, um, disposed to secrecy in general. So there's always going to be another, you know, they're going to gild the lily on this, as it were, above and beyond what you know normal process, you know, uh, protocol would in the security or the bodyguard and executive protection world would do, right? So, uh, and I think to their credit, you know, Osa has done their homework on this kind of stuff. You know, they know how to create uh, and compartmentalize organizational behavior, the, uh, also to create uh, a myth around certain things. Uh, so I think this is a good place to start and, and where I, I want to make this very straight distinction between where I'm thinking in my thesis about the of competence versus incompetence. So at this level, again, we're talking tactical, we're talking you know this level of harassment and the things that they do, they're very real. They have radically impacted the lives of many people. People that I know, uh, people that I that are part of our community. And again, if I've upset anybody by downplaying that, I apologize. And I want to make make that clear that I respect that. I understand what these people have gone through. So it's it's not about that conversation. And and no, it, and
1: I no, and as the host on this show, I need to be very clear about this because that was never even on the radar of what we were talking about as far as I was concerned, there was no, there was zero effort to make it seem or sound or infer that OSAs hasn't done horrible, horrible things to people or to try to take away from the horribleness, the, you know, the, uh, uh, just the awful experiences that people have had and above and beyond even the disconnection. I'm talking about the stalking, the harassment, sure. the efforts to get people fired from their jobs, to go after their families, to go after their pets. Absolutely. I mean, that is, that's, they're good at that stuff. And, and, we, and, I heard... I, and, and what we were talking about was not that they're bad at it. We were no. talking about the fact that, yeah, sure. They're really good at that stuff, but, Does that stuff serve their longer-term strategic goals? That's what we were talking about.
0: Absolutely. And I
1: I got got no negative feedback on that on my end, so I just wanted to make sure we were really clear about that.
0: Um, on the you know this is the blog sphere we 're talking about, and you know and when when you 're in that environment, you have to you know I was perhaps const, you know contextually naive or I may have said something you know again, you get snarky you 're posting so again as part of that is making sure that because I get a lot of positive feedback from people now that i 'm talking about this there 's a lot of information that 's coming to me that way, and i don 't want anybody out there to uh, to, un- to misunderstand what my end game is here about that it 's not about downplaying this. I mean, there's a visceral hatred of what Osa has done. I, that's why I'm here. I mean, that's why you're here. That's why anybody that right. wants to bring the church down is this is, uh, you know, Osa's uh, tactical uh, stratagems and their acumen is one of the key things that got me here in the first place. And that's why it was, you know, so, you know, surprising to see what uh, the reaction I that that I got um, when I posted this stuff. Fair so, enough. Yeah, so I think we beat that one, but I, I just I want to make sure that's out there because it it is an underlying tone. So stepping right. back and looking at, let's go back into the theoretical sphere here for a minute. What I wanted to talk to you about today, Chris, is is it occurred to me that in this discussion. There's a, there's a linear approach that Scientology takes to everything. You know, it's very doctrinaire. It's it's you know the my way or the highway, if you will. So that's where I, I come up with the term linearity, and it translates into the way that uh, you they perceive warfare. If you look at you know the the battle space, if we, we're we're talking about in in military terms, you know successful combatants shape the battle space. This is where everything occurs in conflict. So the battle space of the critic movement is culture at large. It's the battlefield of ideas, and if we look at these ideas, uh, we're trying to get the, the greatest traction for what we feel is the moral imperative. And Scientology is trying to get their idea out there that you know the the moral imperative is clearing the planet because this is what we believe. What I mean, it's just like in fundamentalist Christianity, it's you know you want to save souls or what have you. It's every it's it's part and parcel to belief systems. So. My argument isn't there. They can believe all they want. But the way that they're going about that is what brought us here today. And I want to talk about ways that we as critics can counter that with an effective strategy. Because I've talked about the, the lack of strategy at Scientology's level as far as the long-term gain. But I really haven't touched on what I feel the appropriate use of strategy is for we as critics. And, and this is
1: an important point because we tend to uh, be individuals – who yep. are you know, recovering from Scientology, varying degrees of experience, varying degrees of success at being able to put two words together and communicate to other people. And, um, and of course, as I've talked about on this podcast with other guests in the past, the infighting that can happen, the, you know, the personality conflicts that can occur can make things difficult because, because we're, a not a, we're not a formal group of people who are you know all together in some organi- organizing board, or you know we're not getting paid for this, you know it's not like we have a salary or something, you know sure. so so it's really very kind of chaotic sometimes as to as to all the vectors that get well, yeah, taken. And- you know,
0: you know as, as we've talked about, there's camps, right? There's a, and, and Jeff Augustine has helped me, you know, kind of lay the, the, the land out about, you know, the, there's tribal knowledge of certain elements. I mean, this is things that we've discussed about. And, yep. and as, as a never end, I'm, you know, rapidly having to jumpstart my understanding of a lot of this tribal knowledge because it helps play to all the different camps. You know, the Indies, the Never—I mean, there's all these—and each one has an agenda. They have a particular way that they want to go about doing whatever they want, getting their message out or taking the church down or what have you, Right
1: that's right so
0: you know and but i would i would say that this is probably the most organized that the movement has been since the days of anonymous and i wanted to go back to that because it's what the success at anonymous enjoyed against the church plays to what i'm talking about and that's the idea of asymmetrical warfare Mm -hmm. now you've heard people that have probably you know read up on this stuff you know asymmetry means something that's against symmetry i.e linearity right so you know chaos random vectors all this stuff but what it what it what it basically means is that a uh, 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 less or, or a, uh, a, a less resource-based organization, say like the Viet Cong versus the United States in the Vietnam War, classic mm-hmm. example, right? You got Punji pits, you got you know the mass of the populace against this monolithic entity. So let's make that metaphor to the church. The church is very monolithic, and it's. The way it perceives the world is very doctrinaire. It has a certain way of doing its thing. And I always say, you know, it's fighting, you know, the Napoleonic style of warfare. You know, people in line charging up the hill because we believe in, we want to plant that flag of, you know, planet clear on the high ground, right? You know, this is classic stuff. Classic Clausewitz, classic Sun Tzu, all that. And what I'm saying is... And that's is, what
1: they're trained on, by the way. I was going to bring that up at some point. Art yeah. of War, huge with Osa. Huge. Yeah.
0: Well, I, and we talk, I think we touched about this the last time too, you know, that Hubbard came out with a, li- a laundry list of, you know, classic treatises on strategy on specifically, and the irony is, is, is rich here, on unconventional warfare, on counterinsurgency and the things like that, which are old monikers for asymmetrical warfare. So, you know, asymmetrical warfare is one of these things that's been co-opted by scholars, military pundits, theorists, to basically mean, you know, the little guy has an edge on the big guy. And we talk about generations of warfare. You know, third generation warfare, or first generation warfare was, you know, back in the days of cavalry and lances and all this. Second generation, you get combined arms, which is World War II, tanks, blitzkrieg, all that stuff. Third gen is maneuver warfare, where you're looking at, uh, you know, trying to do envelopment operations around a static enemy fourth gen is asymmetric is that's where you start looking at bringing other variables into the battle space that are not necessarily kinetic i.e. involve ordnance, you know aircraft all this other stuff now we're at fifth generation warfare which includes cyber warfare heavy on psyops social media these are i mean you know again you look at the way that people you know those you know videos you see on tv of all kinds of behavior the, you know try recruitment videos of, for various organizations that's classic fifth generation stuff we're trying to reach out and grab the mind of somebody well that's
1: how i was i was just about to say let's let's bring this down to a real simplicity right which is where you know first second third gen you're talking about a shooting war you're talking about people shooting at each absolutely. other absolutely now we're talking about invading people's minds Right? This is propaganda, war by propaganda. The battlefield
0: of ideas, absolutely. Yeah.
1: This is 1984 stuff. This is, mm-hmm. you know, this is, I don't know. I mean, you know, the uh, who was the guy... I, I always I'm always mixing these two. There's Goebbels and Himmler, which was the which was oh, the Devels PR guy. Oh, Goebbels was the propaganda
0: guy, guy. You know, yeah, the whole Goebbels, idea right? of the big lie, right? Goebbels yes. came up with the idea of the big lie, and so you know, Scientology has the big lie. But then people could say, well, the government, you know, the United States has the big lie about democracy for everybody, you know. But you got to pay to play, right? So yep. we all have this way that we spin the You know, what's what's the rap? What's today's you know moniker, meme, what have you, right? Right. And that's all about. And and this is the, this is the thing too. I want the audience to remember, you know, military history is one of those things that's empirically cyclical. You know, it's Saintyana says we're always, you know, those that ignore the 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 lessons of the past are condemned to repeat them in the future, right? And that's so so much the truth here. So a lot of what I'm talking about today has probably happened in the past. It's just in different mediums, different idioms, different personalities, right? That's right. And, and this plays to one of the problems that Scientology has as a monolithic entity: is it's playing to a 60-year-old playbook in its rigidity. It doesn't have the ability, and we discussed this previously, to adapt as quickly as it should against a very evolving foe. And that foe is, you know, crowdsourced, anonymous. Where, you know, where do you look? Where are you coming at? And the other thing is that Scientology doesn't scale well. You know, you look at I think we talked about the numbers one time. Say there's thirty-six hundred C org out there, or something like that, and maybe ten percent of that is OSA, right? So you got. And 800- I'm
1: actually, I, I, I saw your note on that, and I'm actually just going to comment right now. It's definitely less than ten percent.
0: Okay, so even so that. I would
1: bring like, it down to. I would bring it down to five.
0: Wow. Okay. Yeah. So here we're talking, you know, 70, 80 people that are tasked to go yep. out and you know do dirty tricks and black bags against the world at large. Yep. So and, and of course,
1: that's why they're outsourcing a lot of stuff too. There's sure. the plausible deniability we talked about, and the, the air cover you get from that. But there's also just the straight up manpower necessary to get Absolutely. things done, right? So
0: even if you exponentialize that to you know maybe 170, you're you know 1,070. There's still how are those many people going to counter? All the asymmetry in the battle space we're talking about, the internet, social media, personal narrative, Chris and Jeff talking on, on the, the web here today, right? Uh, the virility of this, how this stuff spreads, there's just no way it can be countered by the traditional linearity of, of, a, of a group of people that, yeah, you know, is, is certainly doctrinaire individuals that they can be as zealous as they want. But I mean, here we are in 2018, and Scientology still doesn't get the internet. I mean, it's just a platform for smear videos, you know, stuff for stand, a bunch of vacuous nonsense about bigotry, and they don't even use the word bigotry appropriately. So I mean, it's just, not only can they not get the narrative, they can't even get the medium proper to take the narrative to the next level. So they're failing miserably at fifth gen warfare, and they have no counter to fourth gen asymmetry, uh, asymmetrical warfare. So I think this is what I want to bring home, is that this is the distinction I was talking about in my thesis about intelligence competence is this ability to adapt the battle space to fit your end game and they just aren't hacking it
1: right and i and i wanted this i want to move this straight away into um answering the question that i am asked all the time right what can i do about it what should i do right? People ask me this. You, you have stepped up in a big way, right? You're bringing your professional skill and experience and knowledge to this. You're analyzing the situation. You're working with others. This is the kind of thing that we need. And I have, and I've, I've talked with some other never ends, you know, people who were never involved, who get involved, um, whether through, you know, putting out, uh, their own content, or contributing to what we do, or, you know, however they're doing it, right? And sometimes they get s- spat on. Sometimes they get, you know, stuff from the community, not, not from sure. Scientology, right? Well, and, I... and that can be discouraging sometimes, right? So, yeah, recognizing the camps is, is something, but, what, you know, where does this go? You know, this kind of, I agree that this is the kind of battle we are fighting, so how can people step up and be part of this what
0: do you think so let's step so to that if we consider ourselves warriors in, in this battle of ideas a warrior prepares himself has an idea where he's going to be at any particular time has a high degree of situational awareness Situ- situational awareness includes you know physical stamina mental acuity uh, support you know, I talked to my family before I decided to do this. Even though I've been researching Scientology even before I, you know, got my PhD, I was looking at this. I was reading Torney Ortega back in his uh, uh, village.
1: Uh, oh, back, uh, in vo- village back in the village voice times.
0: Village voice days, yeah. So, you know, I've I've looked at this thread for a long time, and it's you know, I I made a conscious decision to do this, and this is what I would encourage people. This is not something you do on a whim. Very much because of the way the church can come after you, number one. These guys are bastards when it comes to trying to go out there. And I mean, this is what we're talking about, the efficacy of OSA, right? At that level, you know, mucking with your credit reports, all this, everything out of the, you know, the anarchist cookbook PI playbook 101, right? So, you know, you have to be prepared in a way and make sure that you've got your, your defenses in line. And there's plenty of resources on the web that will tell you how to, what I would call, harden your personal security, All right. So get ready for that. The next thing is, is, you know, mental acuity. Warfare is 80 percent mental, 20 percent preparedness. Anybody in special ops, anybody that goes out and does a real high speed door kick and stuff is going to say it's all about what's up here. And that's what I would encourage people to do. Read, read, read. Understand the motivations. You know, know your enemy. Right. I mean, that's the first. Lesson and understanding and winning and and, dominating on the battlefield is knowing you know having some element of, of being able to predict what's going to happen because you know the playbook of your opponent and it's all out there right. You know, you've been very good, and Jeff and other people are kind of ramping me up on this stuff. And it's it, it it's it can be dry, it can be you know a lot a slog. But I'll tell you, at the end of the day, it starts making sense, especially when you look at all the different blog sphere out there, all the different people and permutations that are talking about this thing. And that's the other thing I would encourage people to: don't just go to one or two sites. Go out. I mean, there's a vast amount of information on the internet about Scientology, pro con. Uh, objective academic stuff. There's a whole bunch of stuff. I looked at a lot of stuff around new religious movements in general, just to understand cults, to look about what people think about religion in the, you know, in the millennium. So, and these, you know, as being raised as a Roman Catholic, having, you know, Jesuitical, you know, critical thinking pounded into me, it was a completely different thing to go out there and look at new age religion, new age phenomena, things that, you know, we as critical thinkers try and understand in the, in the greater sphere, the greater context of the question. So don't just take Scientology as this thing, Yeah, it, it may behave monolithically, but it's, it's a constitutional, it's, it's comprised of many, many different things. And so that would be the other thing is inform yourself and then do what we're doing, you know, stick it stick out there, find a Facebook group. There's other people that are now interested in this. I mean, aftermath. I mean, that was a sea change in the discussion about, let me back up. I would say between Anonymous and and certainly the follow-on that Leia brought to the table, those were two, you know, monumental events in the critic movement. I mean, you may know better than I, but I I would, I would subject that those are probably, those really radicalized people and also the medium, you know? I mean, Anonymous leveraged the the internet, Leia has managed the cultural space, You know, people are tweeting about this. People are, you know, uh, Oprah is talking about this. People that normally would have never been drawn into the conversation are now talking about the outrage of disconnection, the outrage of child abuse, the outrage of co opting religion as a tax dodge. All this stuff. That's right. And and we
1: should probably, just for fairness sake, also make sure we stick in there um, the Going Clear documentary. Oh yeah, absolutely. Alex, yeah. give me. I mean, I just I I can't not comment on that in terms of the three cuz as far as I'm concerned, those were the three nuclear bombs, you know, that just yeah, That's a good way an, to put it. Absolutely. just annihilated Scientology's uh PR presence. Any question about what Scientology is or or is about has has been completely answered by those three things. Those three events have have completely put that out there and now there's a lot of people out there who are very aware of this and would like to do something about it and you know and I, and it's always been a little bit of a struggle for me to answer that question because I I do what I do you know but I can't expect everybody else to do what I do
0: <laughs> nor no, what well, I want so them have, to you know you have so this vast you have this vast institutional understanding which is a critical skill here and that you you certainly helped me conceptualize this a lot more. Um, and I think, too, the your observation about those three atom bombs, the other thing, too, is let's look at basic E equals MC squared. That's, you know, barefoot messiah. That's John Attacks, you know, sell him a piece of blue sky. That's this. there's all this, there's a whole just a, a wealth of great I was there stories that are out there from people that yep. were in the CMO, people that were, you know, at Hubbard's right-hand side. Then there's other books from, you know, like John Sweeney that are people that have been, you know, in the midst, you know, right in the combat of, of having somebody like Tommy Davis, yelling. I mean, fair game real time. Right. So this is stuff that you don't get. And then there's Tony Ortega's wonderful story about uh, Paulette Cooper. Uh, you know, you want to see a textbook case of, of harassment at the, at the, you know, the micro level, you know, hardcore tactical guardian's office in your face. Fuck you stuff. That's the book. So, I mean, this is it, And it really lets you know what these guys are capable of. But then you step back. Well, where is this? You know, you read about the guardian's office going in and Operation Snow White and all that. But then here's a black bag burglary. Where'd it go above that? And that's where there's the big gap because nothing's ever gone that level. Nothing's ever ever they've never really done anything on such a strategic level to the point where it's again it's taken this church somewhere other than being an object of ridicule, an object of scorn, and now hopefully potential criminal prosecution if we do our job right.
1: Well, there we go. And I think uh, I think you'll find a lot of willing people out there who uh, who want to you know contribute in some way to Making that happen, like you said, if we do our job right, Absolutely. I would, I'd be, uh, I'd, I'd definitely be, uh, you know, in the first row <laughs> of, of that courtroom, if, uh, you know, if I saw, if I saw David Miscavige getting on the stand, that would be, that would be amazing. I have to be honest, I, I, you know, I've been doing this for a few years, and and I've paid a lot of attention to the history of, of our counter Scientology movement, you could say, and, um, you know, and I don't, I don't know. You know, if there, if we're ever going to accomplish uh, a, a game over for Scientology, but it would, but it, but it certainly is uh, very cathartic to to fight back against it in any way. You know,
0: look at the history of communism. Nobody thought that we would ever win the Cold War, and all of a sudden, that's a good point. You know, everybody, 1989, what the walls gone? What? So there will be some event. I don't know what the event horizon is for it, you know, i.e. the, the length of how long it's going to take to do that. But uh, one thing that I would encourage people is that uh, if there's anything that's, that's good that's come out of the, the last election is the involvement of everyday people in politics. And people yes. are more aware of who their yes. representatives are. You know, there's a there's a huge, you know, I'm not, I'm not too comfortable with the polarity in the country. I want us to come back to the middle, but I think we would agree that the middle of on this is Scientology. I, I don't think anybody can find anything positive to say about this phenomenon. So write your Congressman, write, you know, the IRS. They, you can file reports real time on the IRS website about hinky money stuff. I mean, there's tools that you can use today, not even as a, a formal activist, to raise awareness among public officials about the church. Uh, You know, people are going to the police more often. You know, Scientology has lost that veneer of uh, of invincibility. And I think we need to make sure that we capitalize on that. You know, that... It's you, you're you going to, you know, filing a police report is not going to have some guy in a, you know, black suit and sunglasses out in your front lawn. It's not going to happen that quickly. They don't have the bandwidth to go after everybody that wants to kick them in the rear end. That's so right. again, go back to this question of scale. If everybody in the state of California filed a report, you know, about child abuse, labor abuse, all this stuff, even if they can't get tangential confirmation, at least the authorities are getting an idea of the scale of the problem.
1: Exactly. It's, it's
0: or we need to quantify this more efficiently, and I think that's again my goal. You know, from my background and my colleague JP and others, we're trying to put you know numbers around this. We're trying to quantify this phenomenon, so then it becomes something that can be prosecutable, either via RICO, via individual court actions in localities. I mean, look at the success they've had prosecuting Narcanon. Nothing says that that can't that can't happen here around orgs or other places where there's hinky behavior going on. So, and this is all about asymmetry. We're going after all these multiple points instead of this big linear. Let's march across the battle and lay waste to everything. Nah, kick it. You know, kick him in the rear. Drop from you know death from above. Whatever, right? That's you know, right. Death to...
1: by a thousand cuts. I think we've yeah, called absolutely.
0: it. Absolutely, very yes, absolutely. It's very, yeah. very, very uh, Chinese and thinking. And, and there's a certain Zen to it. If, you know, if we think about it, right that we'll, we'll reach a continent where everybody will probably be on the same page. And I mean, you just can't fight that kind of con, you know, that continuity, if you will.
1: Exactly. I, um, uh, I think it's funny in a way, I don't know, maybe ironic. I'm not, you know, I'm, I hesitate to use that word cause it gets misused and overused so much, <laughs> but, okay. um, you know, Scientology, when Hubbard started the Snow White program and started the Guardian's office and started the balls in motion for all that to happen, was they considered themselves, and I think, to this day still think of themselves as the asymmetrical warriors. You know, uh-huh. they they thought they were they'd ever thought of themselves as a vast moneyed, you know, heavily financed and and uh, and strengthened monolithic organization, and yet I, I, I agree that it has become that. Yes. You know. Well, that's
0: true. I think there was a certain insurgent mentality in the old days. Yeah, and, very and much Hubbard, so. You know, Hubbard and, encouraged uh, it. Hubbard and Hubbard
1: actively described Scientology in those terms. Absolutely.
0: Well, and but this is the problem with sclerotic things over time they atrophy. There's atrophy that becomes uh, in the organization. You know, they don't think the same way or they always follow the default where they're comfortable. And if you look at the behavior in surveying Paulette Cooper or the behavior in infiltrating the government during Snow White, again, very linear, very concentrated. Now, Clausewitz says, you know, concentration of force, concentration of mass can help you break through an enemy's weaker areas. But you Mm. have to exploit that, okay? You, you know, it's it's worthless if the cavalry gets in the rear area and doesn't do anything and, you know, tear up somebody's supply lines or what have you and just sits there and says, OK, we got here. It's like capture the flag. Right. Yeah. You, know, you don't get the flag and you go back and say, hey, look, we got all these documents. But, oh, by the way, we forgot to, you know, take a fingerprint, whatever. You know, like I always call it, you know, poor trade crap. So it's it becomes, uh, you know, a foot bullet, if you will. And that's again where this where they where Hubbard failed was to inculcate this idea of finality. What's the end game? What's the next step? You know, methodology, process. You know, it's one thing to process somebody up the bridge. It's another when you're pulling a caper and okay, well, we've destroyed this person's reputation, but you know, did we take into the blowback into account? Did we take into any legal ramifications, all this other stuff? No, because we're Scientologists, ain't gonna happen, we know better. Worst mistake you can make in warfare is that you can't. You know, as I've always said, the the minute you meet the enemy, he always has a say in your plan. Hubbard never got that.
1: No, he didn't, and he was very uh, personally uh, vindictive. Yes, and I'll, and so many of the problems that the that Scientology has encountered over the years have directly come from that vindictive attitude. That is. Yeah written into the 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 policies and the guidelines and the dna of the organization because it was a personality trait of l ron hubbard and so uh, so many of the things they do end up being um i don't know what the right word for this is but basically
0: well counterproductive picking up
1: the, well it's, it's, it's picking up the pieces it's going back and cleaning up the mess they made because they were so vindictive in the first place and this is again a longer-term strategy type of comment here that this is they're their own worst enemy, in other words, yes, right? Absolutely. They Hubbard had this idea that if somebody was against him, that person or thing or entity needed to be taken out entirely, ruined utterly, right? That just like take them out. And yet the stand the 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 usual Scientology, run-of-the-mill Scientologist, and I speak from my own experience, of course, and sure. having talked with others, is the SPs of the world, well, there aren't supposed to be that many of them in the first place. And the ones that are around aren't really that effective, according to Hubbard, because they can't finish what they start. They, they, Uh. you know, habitually select the wrong target. They have, you know, this whole list of characteristics. And so Hubbard presents these suppressive people as these really big bad guys who have, you know, brought the civilization to the brink of destruction. And yet at the same time... He's also talking out the other side of his mouth about how ineffective, stupid, uh, un you know, unable, disabled they are, and how we just need to, you know, there's this idea in Scientology of getting ethics in on the planet, right? Which yeah. really means, I mean, the, the, the simplicity of the interpretation of that is get the bad guys out of the way, kind of corral them out of the way while we deal with, handle, clear, make OT, whatever, you know, train all the teeming millions who are the good guys who are just having, you know, whatever trouble they're having. But somehow, and I think it's this vindictive attitude on Hubbard's part and maybe some enthusiasm, some over-enthusiasm on the part of Mary Sue and the Geo and now Osa and Miscavige, that, that, you know, Corral them out of the way while we get our mission done has become destroy these people and let's spend all of our time and effort doing well, that. That
0: has transcended to be the mission, right? right? That's yeah. That's, that's what I'm saying. That's what's yeah. happened. Is you've that's gone right. from this this e- uh, ecclesiastical mandate to this mandate of menace, suppression, and and just uh, you know salaciousness at times, right? You know exactly about, to, to, step to step. the point
1: that their public presence. Is all that and then the feeble attempts they make at Super Bowl commercials or putting out a new video or something about spiritual technology seems like an afterthought to what they're obviously spending all their money and resources doing, which is trying to destroy people.
0: Right. Well, and I think, you know, to your point about blowback and picking up the pieces, I hate to, you know, talk about, uh, you know, the the default of Nazism, all that. But if you look at retaliation, you know, retaliation as a mechanism of control, you know, so. uh, Reinhard Heydrich, the head of the SA, which would be, you know, the, the, the which was the, the, the intelligence organization within the Schutzstaffel the SS, like would be the, o, the you know, the the OSA's black bag guys, gets killed by Czech partisans. So what do they do? They go out and they raise the village of Lidice. And what did that do? It exponentially increased the amount of resistance activity in that area, which killed a boatload more Germans than would have ever had if they just left the thing to be. And this is always the way it happens. That right? is it, exactly it, 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 the historical
1: precedent I'm talking I about. That's say, exactly and this, you know, revenge,
0: it. revenge is not a key component of the tactical or the strategic art. You never see anywhere in Sun Tzu talking about that. Now, Machiavelli says that you know leaders should sit there and be ruthless and merciless in the way that they carry out policy to the efficacy that it's going to make sure that their nation state stays at the top of the heap. But nowhere does it sit there and say build you know pyramids of skulls is default <laughs> right. when your when your process falls apart,
1: right? Exactly. So, and they well, kind of went from Hubbard, who was this vindictive guy, who who yeah. would have said, who actually wrote policies like um, you know, what is greatness? Right. And and communication is the universal solvent and affinity, reality and communication, equal understanding, which is, you know, again, a universal solvent to dissolve problems and conflict. And and even wrote another thing on the third party law, how if there's some conflict brewing that won't ever stop well there's some third party keeping it going right so he writes these things that seem to present this idea that Scientology is beneficent and understanding and very compassionate and, and that's where it's coming from but then you know but then you get this whole other pile of of you know directives and policies saying destroy them and but here's and the, it's up to the, the, the you know to the it's actually comes down to the attitude or uh, biases of the individuals at OSA and David Miscavige and anybody else who's in the decision chain on this as to which of these piles of paper, you know, they're going to align themselves with. Are we going to be well, the good capricious. guys or,
0: you it's know? It's still really capricious. It's very random. I, there's, no, there's not yes. even any you know, mental acuity involved in making a decision. But you made an interesting point earlier about Hubbard and this triangulation of, you know, two entities. That's classic fifth column. That's the definition of a fifth column. When you look at, in, in, the, in the way that people perceive uh, sub you know, subversion is you, he's just talking about the same thing with a different name, implying it to, and this is a thing I'm coming across more and more as I read up on Scientology. Is the way that he misappropriates, you know, military terms or intelligence terms or other terms to define, you know, ecclesiastical behavior, which is just so ludicrous <laughs> right. as to be.
1: Talk uh, about, you know, <laughs> oil and water. I mean, these yeah, things just don't.
0: Absolutely. Now, mind you, you know, the Jesuits did a lot under Elizabethan uh, England when you know they were trying to keep everybody from being burned at the stake, right? You know, intelligence, right? There's religious components to this. But they're not going, I mean, they were calling what it was. Hubbard just can never he has a real problem using appropriate de- definitions a lot of times for things or misappropriation. Maybe that's a better way to say it. You know, yeah. it's okay to say, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna create an organization, we wanna spy on our opponents because we think they're gonna be damaging it. You know, and but you know, if you make that across the organization organization's doctrine, well, then that becomes kind of suspect. Is the entirety of Scientology all about suppression of, or, you know, dealing with suppressive people? Or is that just a component of it? I mean, what's it going to be, Ron? I mean, it's going to be this, that, or the other thing. I mean, it's just such an ag- a- amalgamation of, of, of counterintuitiveness. It's unbelievable. <laughs> you know? Big time. Big time. So, yeah. <laughs> and, and this is the
1: confusion that you run into trying to decipher what the hell is David Miscavige actually up to? Well, right yeah. cuz you can't you know it's it's really hard even with all the inside knowledge that you know us exes have and the objective you know education experience uh, you you know you people like you bring to the picture you look at this guy <laughs> yeah. and you just go what is this guy really trying to do with this thing you know he well, says I- he says he's trying to do this but you really excuse me nah no problem he says he's trying to do, you know, A, B, and C, and yet everything in the real world points to X, Y, and Z instead, and you just go.
0: Well, and this idea of counter, you know, command intention, well, you know, command intention implies some kind of, you know, consistent purpose of thought. And right, I mean, it's,
1: and, it's, and when it's, Hubbard wrote about command intention and the flag orders, that's what he said it is. But it got, again, got really twisted into, no, it's anything Del Ron Hubbard or, you know, later, anything, any whimsical idea that enters David Miscavige's head suddenly becomes command intention. You know, it, Hubbard actually directed uh, in, a, in a flag order or, or an issue or CBO called command intention. He said every single staff member was supposed to kind of figure out what command intention is themselves, from their level. What is wow. it that that we're supposed to be receiving, forwarding, carrying out? And that's not necessarily a bad exercise for individuals well, yeah, in an but, organization but it's, it's to supposed, engage but, in, but when they are getting contrary direction. Yeah. You know, here's a policy that says, uh, you know, do, again, I'll just be really non-specific here. You know, here's a policy that says, sell everybody a stapler, and then here comes the demand. The orders that you're receiving are, no, they need to buy loaves of bread and milk, not staplers. And yes. God damn it, how many loaves of bread have you sold this week? And if you haven't sold enough, you're going to be going and scrubbing pots. And you're right. going, dude, I thought we were selling staplers. Like, that's kind of <laughs> what it says here. And then, as an individual in this mess... You're trying to reconcile sell staplers with I got orders to sell milk, and you're thinking I was thinking. You know, when I was in, certainly, and other people I was I was working with were thinking, maybe we're somehow misreading this. Like somehow we're not getting that this this stapler thing, with the with this with this thing, they 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 must reconcile in some fashion that we don't understand. So we're just going to carry out these orders knowing that they're not really what it says to do here from the founder, but somehow it must be our bad that we can't figure that out, because clearly this guy up here who's telling us to sell all the all the loaves of bread, clearly he knows what he's talking about. He worked with the guy who said to sell the staplers. So there must be some master plan I'm not part of and don't understand, and I'm commenting on this because... It occurs to me I have never described this this level of, of cognitive dissonance that occurs in every single scientologist's head right Well, it's and almost this like you're, OSA.
0: you're describing leadership by osmosis right There's so I mean how are you, I know certainly if I'd gone into battle with you know trying to okay well I don't really know where the LZ is I'm supposed to land at I really don't know where the enemy is relative to the LZ relative to you know, what a, you know, fighter pilots call that the furball, right? When you're in the engagement, trying to figure out who you're going to shoot at, not a place to be. You want to at least have an idea of who's at your six, who's in front of you and where your wingman is. And I think that this is, you know, Hubbard never figured out those that, you know, there has to be some congruence in the chaos, you know, chaos can work sometimes because in chaos opportunity, you can use that, uh, you know, that, that hurry up and wait stuff to make people think quicker, be nimble on their feet. I mean, there can be some managerial or organizational advantages to that. It's not preferred, but th- again, depending on the way the culture is, the, cu- the way the culture has been inculcated over time, maybe. But I think it, 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 what, what's interesting too when you say that it it lends me to believe that asymmetry is is just the right fit because if you're looking at this monolithic entity, but within that entity, at least on the outside, it looks monolithic, but there's this endemic chaos underneath it, it's even gonna be more susceptible to having multiple vectors of attack or multiple vectors of of reaction that it's gonna have to deal with. So at some point, uh, yeah, you can have this long run rate of cash that will guarantee organizational uh, succession over time. But if there's no, you know, coherent, rational direction underneath there, meanwhile, you're being attacked on multiple fronts, somewhere the thing's going to implode or they're going to make a mistake or some court cases, there's going to be a, a, a friction point, an inflection point that's going to bring this thing down. Going back to our, your yeah. question about, you know, where are we going to be? Um, and so this is why I think, you know, we, if we look at this in terms of unconventional warfare, asymmetry, looking at things that we as the critic movement can do in toto in mass, we have the advantage. We have the tactical momentum, or actually I should say the strategic momentum right now to turn this thing around. More importantly, slowly but surely, we're learning, we're, we're seizing the narrative and this is something I mentioned the last time.
1: The mm-hmm. more that we
0: change the conversation around Scientology, the more that we're owning the narrative, the better we're going to be able to, to triumph in the, in the battle space of ideas because we're setting the stage for the way that the subjects discussed, the way that people describe Scientology. I mean, all those things. And it's that's a very powerful tool. Going back to your idea about Goebbels, you know, the big lie. My gosh. You know, look, you know, you had a, a basically a fundamental republic that turned into a dictatorship literally overnight because of the of the narrative that the Nazis seized away from the Weimar Republic. So I mean, it's powerful, powerful stuff, and it doesn't that's involve fine. anything that's violent. It involves you know a, a, a nimble mind. It, it involves the violence of reactive. You know, being able to sit there and be violently opposed to something, or in and also have that that zealotry of belief that you can overcome supposed. Uh, you know, this a monolithic entity that's supposedly resource rich and all this other stuff. Exactly. <laughs> so I think I think, this a- is, I think
1: those are all very good points um, because uh, because we win when we get truth injected into this. This is another thing Absolutely. we haven't we haven't mentioned this once during either of these uh, podcasts that we've done so far, but we there is an advantage to having truth on your side. Absolutely. And, and Scientology has positioned itself as being the ultimate truth and having the ultimate truths within its, you know, scriptures and this kind of nonsense, um, but they don't. And they do lie through their teeth every yeah. day. And, and, and it's a weakness on the part of Scientology that they do that, not because the truth is some tidal wave that's waiting in some cosmic karmic way to come take you down, because that's not how things work. It's a weakness because that's how I got out of Scientology, right? That's how many people get out of it, and that reduces their ranks because they lie through their teeth, because when you know that you're lying and yet you have good intentions and you think you're doing a good, good work and a good job, then when enough of the truth hits you upside the head that you can't deny it anymore, you cease being part of that movement or that group anymore. And they are, and they are, uh, hemorrhaging members
0: just because of that one thing. Well, and you know, you know, sunshine is the greatest disinfectant. And the thing that we bring as the movement are everybody's a ray of sunshine you know not yep. to get too ephemeral that's, here but no that's and, my point that's right yeah you know we look at that and this is you know and the thing that I that concerns me in this this environment right now of alternative facts and all this other rubbish is that Scientology is is gonna you know b- piggyback on the back of that and change their narrative to be somehow uh, acceptable because of the way they're spinning it well you know that's the thing that we, as critics, have to nip right in the bud. This right. is why we need to bring an academic rigor, a, a, the rigor of truth, you know, the, the rigor of ideas that are, are sound, properly sourced. You know, I, I hate to say peer-reviewed, but, I mean, the, that we all agree on in a sense that, you know, we are peers here. There's no, yeah, they're rock stars in the movement and all this, but what they serve is, you know, they're, they're – Their status as icons are are points to rally around or at least seek, you know, knowledge or, you know, that they know they've got institutional knowledge. They've got, you know, history that we can draw on and we can rally to those points and use those to better, you know, increase the, the, uh, the, the, the brightness of our lights, as it were and i think that's you know what i would want to leave folks with today and so if you're looking at we go back to you know osa at the tactical versus strategic level you know osa is really good at fluorescent lighting man they get it all you know it's uniform they're good they keep it here but they don't get they don't get the, the star they don't get solar solar light right and what we're trying to do is bring solar light right to this thing if i want to really mix bad metaphors <laughs> there you I, go you know, no, that's, <laughs> but that's that the works. idea right you know because right. it is a constellation you know we're all kind of orbiting around this thing of scientology that we want to just deal with. And I think the more, you know, meteor strikes and all this other stuff we do, it's gonna bring it down. And I'm I'm confident. I but we gotta play the long game. And this is why I keep harping on this thing about tactics versus strategy, is that yeah. tactics, you know, enable strategy. So let's be strategic thinkers and use this crowdsourcing, all these other great tools as tactics to counter the the very efficient tactics that OSA has in their playbook.
1: So. fair enough.
0: Good. All right, Jeff. Well, thank
1: you very much for the call the pleasure of the podcast here today. And uh, like I said, we were going to do this in a couple weeks anyway, but I'm glad we got to jump on this. I think this is uh, endlessly fascinating material for many, many people.
0: Yeah, and, and uh, I, I think- we can, you know, I've I've got a series that'll be up on JP Capitalist about this. Talking, there'll be examples in there. I'm going to deconstruct some of the Guardians Office stuff, some of Snow White, and make these parallels to not only asymmetrical warfare, but just crowds. You know, social media. There's a, there's a lot of these things that have parallels in history, and I I've, I'm very much a believer in going to history to solve present day problems and so i think hopefully that'll be that and i'd love to you know have some follow-ons that map back to that chris
1: absolutely yeah. absolutely okay cool jeff thanks for coming on board here anyone uh any comments uh good bad sideways up down whatever leave them in the comment section of my youtube video or at sensibly speaking.com and uh, we will check those out. You, if you're on iTunes, uh, go ahead and give us a you know a little bit of a rating and that sort of thing. We always appreciate that kind of stuff. And um, we will see you guys again next week. Thanks for coming around. Bye bye. Thanks, everybody.